HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Lefty's Construction Publishing. This week, we are happy to announce a new addition to our periodical lineup. For those hand tool enthusiasts out there, it's called Grinder Magazine. Yes, that's right. Cut off wheels, spark filled photos, and lessons learned will be some of the things that you can find within the covers. And as a special treat, we're going to kick things off right now and answer some questions that come in live from our Twitter feed. Um, no, uh, this is not a dating magazine. Um, no, uh, we do not have an app in the App Store. Um, what am I wearing? Come on! Oh, no. Hey, I, I think we made a uh, a, a big mistake here. Uh, why you, what, can you, can you get Lefty on the phone? You're not you're not still recording this. Y- you are. Um, Lefty's Construction Publishing, where quality meets quantity. Welcome back. This is episode number 115. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Well, how do we do that? We do that weekly by sharing lessons learned from the field and talking with industry experts. But I personally don't stop there. I want to encourage you to double down on your weekly dose of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and joining my growing community of people just like you. Um... Just want to point out that we only have two weeks left for the enroll, the initial enrollment of all the alpha members for HVAC 360 membership site. There's a deep discount at this level, and then we're going to close it at the end of January. So uh, visit the website today and get involved. All right, so what's up for this week? This week, I talk with Mark Richards of Hemery Mechanical Engineering about phase change materials. Uh, Mark had a case study that I read and uh, using this product, and I really wanted to learn more about it. There are some show notes, more show notes than usual this week, so check out the website at, over at HVAC360.com slash 115. All right, so that's enough of the intro. Let's cut to the tape with Mark Richards. All right, today we're going to be talking with Mark Richards, who is the CEO of Emory Mechanical Engineering. How are you doing today, Mark? Oh, fine. Thanks, Matt. How are you today? I am excellent. Thanks for asking. Hey, uh, Mark, can you tell me a little bit about uh, some of your some of your background? Sure, yeah. I'm a, a mechanical engineer and, and work in the uh, HVAC design field and have since uh, since I was a kid. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a third generation contractor first-generation uh, mechanical engineer uh, based here in San Diego, uh, California. Uh, and I, uh, you know, went to school at San Diego State University and, and, and graduated in 95 uh, with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering and went to work, uh, you know, right in, in uh, for a consulting engineer uh, designing uh, HVAC systems. Uh, since, you know, my dad was a mechanical contractor, I grew up uh, making ductwork in the shop, installing that ductwork in the field, and and had uh, an affinity for the industry, and so you know parlayed that into a, a career, and and so um, you know, worked for a consulting engineer, 
uh, designing uh, everything from schools to um, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing. Uh, some of my first projects were at uh, the San Diego International Airport and uh, uh, designing systems for that. And so uh, uh, great experience with them. Uh, that company is still around. Uh, they're an EXP uh, company now. Um, I left them to go work for a, a mechanical contractor and, and headed up their design build group uh, here in San Diego, uh, Pacific Rim Mechanical, uh, who's still around. And, and at the time, uh, Pacific Rim was sold to Encompass uh, services group, which, uh, you know, back in 99 or so, uh, that was a roll up of a bunch of mechanical contractors across the country that went publicly traded. And, uh, at about that time, the rolling blackouts were happening in California. And so we got into, uh, co-generation plants, uh, onsite uh, power and using the waste heat for, you know, various applications, uh, heating and, and, or absorption cooling. And um, did a lot of work in California and spun that off into a separate Encompass business that, that focused more on, on power uh, generation. And unfortunately, that company uh, entirely went bankrupt uh, in 2002. Uh, and so at that point, I went to work for an owner-operator of a lot of the co-generation plants that we had designed and built and, and helped them uh, continue to operate those plants and develop uh, a new plant uh, here in Southern California. And, uh, and once our work was done there, I've been an independent consulting engineer uh, since uh, out of my own. My company is uh, Emory Mechanical Engineering. We do um, MEP design and build of mechanical systems uh, for all types of uh, facilities here in, in Southern California. So today we're going to be talking about uh, phase change materials. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what exactly phase change materials are? Sure. Yeah. You know, phase change materials. Uh, the layman's analogy I like to use is like blue ice for your building. And and for those uh, in the younger crowd that may not know what blue ice is, uh, you know, it, it's a material that melts and freezes at at uh, your application temperature of choice. It's an engineered material, and it's it's made out of an organic substance, basically the derivative of uh, palm seed oil, uh, with fatty acids uh, mixed in and catalyzed at the factory to melt and freeze for the built environment at at what we want our building temperature to be. All right. So I, I guess. Um a lot of, uh, I guess, when you talk about phase changes, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, heat being absorbed or rejected. It can kind of go both ways. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, indeed. You know, in in, um, in alignment with the, you know, the, the blue ice analogy, uh, you know, you put it in the freezer, it gets very cold, you stick it in your cooler to keep your lunch cold or your drinks cold, and then eventually it warms up. Uh, and then you got to put it back in your freezer again. Uh, this material works in the same same modes, uh, but instead of you know at freezing like like blue ice does, uh, you know phase change materials for the built environment uh, melt and freeze at uh, a variety of temperatures that we want our buildings to be at. So, for example, you know most buildings want to be controlled uh, to seventy two degrees Fahrenheit, right? So there is a material 
that has a nominal uh, temperature of um, uh, 73.4 or 23 C. And so, you know, I'll bounce back and forth between C and F, but um, uh, a lot of these products now on the market are rated uh, in terms of degree C and, and standard offerings are typically um, uh, in intervals of, of a few degrees C. So for example, they have a, a 20 degree C material, 23, uh, 25, 28, uh, are the most common for integrating into buildings. So now I, I know we're going to be talking about uh, one particular project that you had had worked on. Um, but in general, are these phase uh, phase change materials are they you know commercially uh, available right now? Indeed, yeah. There there are um, a handful of manufacturers uh, here in the United States that that in uh, manufacture and sell uh, product, phase change material, laden uh, materials uh, for the built environment. And, and I'm most familiar with the company called uh, Phase Change Energy Solutions uh, based in Asheboro, North Carolina. And they make a material uh, that's a, a bio-based uh, phase change material, uh, like I mentioned a little bit before, but there, there are a variety of uh, blends. Um, some are salt hydrates, uh, some are paraffin wax based, um, and, and then we have the bio based types of, of phase change material. And I, it, the, the bio base has by far gotten the most traction as far as uh, market penetration and, and actual installs uh, into buildings. So when we talk about these materials going into a, a project, what I mean, how do you, how would you describe them to people? What do they look like? Uh, yes, great question. So. You know, envision ketchup, mustard, mayo packets, uh, you know, little plastic packets of um, material uh, inside of these packets. But instead of being cut into the little packets that you're familiar with, uh, imagine them being uncut on uh, a flat a sheet, uh, a flexible sheet, uh, you know, anywhere between 12 and to up to 24 inches wide with these little packets of uh, face change material cast into them. In fact, it's made on the same machine uh, that makes, you know, ketchup, mustard, mayo packets, it, you know, in a, in a, a food grade and injection type um, uh, device. So it's, uh, it, it is actually, um, uh, the phase change energy material is actually a food grade. Uh, it's Halil and Kosher certified, uh, ironically, and, and um uh, you know, suitable. I think it was recently approved by uh, the USDA for use in in food processing and ag applications. So you could eat it, is what you're saying, basically. <laughs> you know, actually, my dog ate it. Uh, I have a bunch in my garage in a plastic bag, and she got into it uh, because she gets into everything, and she um, <laughs> she was no worse for the wear. You know, and, and it, you know, it's an oil. It very much looks like coconut. Uh, oil and and behaves a lot like it because you know coconut oil does melt essentially near near room temperature, but the way it looks and feels is is very much the same. Okay, now I you know you've you've mentioned two things that that throw flags up into uh, in my head, um, coming from a building science kind of uh, angle. Um, obviously, you've mentioned plastic and you've mentioned. Um, you know, this is, this is actually, you know, uh, you know, biological. 
So the first thing I got to ask you, this is going into walls, right? It can go into walls. Absolutely. So I guess what, what prevents, I mean, are these, uh, you know, uh, do they have the right breathability? Is, are, are we going to trap moisture in there? Uh, because, I mean, if we trap moisture and then mold starts to grow, obviously the food source is, you know, right there. Has that, has that been, you know, uh, addressed with these phase change materials? Yeah, great question. So from, from a material standpoint, uh, you know, the, the, the phase change material is inside of an encapsulant. So the material is encapsulated in this plastic jacket. And in some cases, it's got an aluminized uh, foil jacket onto it. But inside the packets, the phase change material is not exposed to uh, the ambient envir environment. Uh, so it, it communicates thermally through the encapsulation, uh, freezing and thawing. So very much like you know, your freezer pack and that analogy of blue ice, you know, the same concept applies there. Um, so from a, you know, a mold mitigation standpoint, uh, you know, if you have a problem with mold, you know, due to your envelope, uh, challenges, uh, this is, will neither exasperate nor solve an existing issue with, with, you know, vapor, uh, transmission and ventilation issues. The, the encapsulant, or the, 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 the trade name for the, the product that Phase Change Energy makes is called Energy Blanket. And so this, and it's spelled E-N-R-G uh, Blanket. And so Energy Blanket, uh, you know, stands on its own. So very much like bat insulation, uh, they get stapled up in, inside of a stud bay. Uh, you can also think of, of the Energy Blanket being installed in, in the same way. Okay, so the the blanket of itself is is more of a, um, what am I trying to say? The it it it, it allows for moisture uh, passage through it. Yeah. So unless this the edges are taped, uh, you know, it is not intended to be a a, a vapor barrier. Okay. It, it could be, you know, it could be installed in that way, but the the intent of integrating into a building is not necessarily meant to to be a vapor barrier. Uh, now, however, um, if that is a concern and you, and you want vapor uh, transmission through it, you, you can get it such that the uh, encapsulation is perforated uh, in the seams uh, around the packets so that it, it, could be, uh, it could be breathable. Okay. So now let's focus on this one particular case study that, that, uh, that I, I brought you on to talk about. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, why it was done, how you ended up getting involved, um, and and what was it? Yeah, so uh, thanks for asking. So the, the the case study is known as Thermal Mass 2.0, and it was conceived by uh, Prem uh, Sunharam, who's a global leader of sustainability for DLR Group. And, and Prem and I had collaborated together on on phase change materials, uh, you know, he took an interest on his own time and, and got some material and tested it to see uh, if it really did what, what, uh, what it was supposed to do. And, uh, uh, and he was intrigued. Uh, he built a little test cell and, and then um, noodled it over. And Prem's background is engineering and architecture uh, and a very sustainably minded uh, individual and, and saw potential to you know, integrate this kind of material into a building 
to create a thermal mass in a lightweight construction. And, and so the, the premise is, is that phase change material, uh, you know, creates a building that behaves like, you know, a high thermal mass, uh, high brick, you know, high concrete building, uh, use, and, and, and does it with a building of a lightweight construction with modern metal studs and lightweight exteriors. Uh, and so without the cost of the additional structure and mass associated with those, those types of construction. Uh, and so Prem uh, solicited internal, uh, an internal fund within DLR group, they fund qualified research initiatives to enhance thought leadership and, and plow new ground for sustainable building technologies. And, and they happen to be designing a new high school in, uh, in West Phoenix, uh, it's called Canyon View High School. And, and so he conceptualized uh, a test uh, because there hadn't been much work done on a large building scale. There, there'd been a lot of uh, data uh, and testing of the efficacy of phase change materials in buildings in much smaller spaces but nothing in large buildings. And so Prem saw an opportunity there, uh, worked with the Agua Furia uh, school district out there and, and convinced them to install it in one of two nearly identical buildings. And so there are two two-story 30,000 square foot classroom buildings, building uh, A or F and, and B. Uh, building B has phase change material installed in it and building F does not. And so uh, we also installed a data acquisition system to monitor HVAC energy and compare the two buildings to each other from an energy standpoint. And we also monitored up uh, two uh, classrooms in each building on each floor uh, to look at the surface temperatures and calculate the uh, mean radiant temperatures uh, in those spaces to see thermally how they perform. And so the, the play for phase change materials and buildings and the value proposition is that it reduces HVAC energy uh, consumption, uh, shifts the peak load out uh, past uh, or into an unoccupied period to be dealt with when ambience are lower and to increase uh, occupant comfort. And, and so from a school standpoint, you know, those are in alignment with a lot of their, their goals uh, to provide, you know, good learning environments for, for the kids. So, so fortunately, the district bought off on it. Phase change energy solutions uh, funded the material and, and my time to go out and design and install the data acquisition system. And so those were commissioned uh, this August, this past August in 18. And now we're for, through the first semester of, of uh, data out there. So now, I mean, have you visited the spaces? So, you, I mean, just kind of, you know, standing in them, you know, uh, what the... Uh, the F building versus the B building is, can you notice the difference? You know, I, you know how it is sometimes Matt in, in HVAC land, you know, the perception of people changes from, from person to person. And, and so thermal comfort is a, a fairly nebulous concept. Uh, the best analogy that I can give to you is um, before uh, or during construction, when the material was installed, there was a noticeable difference in, in the temperature of the building uh, before the building was commissioned. So, you know, in the spring and the summer of 18, we were monitoring temperatures in these spaces uh, before and after the material was installed. And, and we, 
uh, noted, you know, a two to three degree difference in temperature between the rooms with PCM and the rooms without, uh, as far as being more comfortable, cooler uh, in general. And, and so there is a, a, a noticeable difference to somebody who can discern a two to three degree difference when it's, you know, 90 some degrees outside. So, um, uh, you know, a better analogy I found was when um, it was installed at the Eastern Archery Center at Olympic Training Center down here in Chula Vista, California. And, and I went into this building when it was being built they clad the whole building and it was in the roof and the walls. And it, it, that's where everybody took their lunch. Uh, you know, the construction crews during construction found, you know, it was obvious that that building was, you know, much cooler, much more comfortable inside having the face change material in it. And, and, and so the other analogy I like to give is, uh, you know, radiant sheeting on uh, plywood on roof decks. So when, when they, when they switched from, uh, you know, regular, you know, OSB or plywood sheeting on roofs to, you know, impregnated uh, foil radiant barrier, you know, it was obvious that when you worked on that job, you could tell the difference is just actually much cooler uh, under that, under that structure. And so that, that analogy, I think, holds true uh, with the building with phase change material in it. So there's different places that you can actually apply this. You said the the roof and the walls. I mean, is it is it like floor to roof deck, or or how is it how is it applied in those different situations? It's uh... so it, you know anywhere in the building envelope it can be installed, and and the the trick is, and and we're kind of moving ahead a little bit into you know the topic about the applications, and and uh, uh, you know my whole goal of getting phase change material into into uh, a project is to, to have it affect thermal comfort and get it as much as we can near where the people are in, in the environment that we care about uh, from, from a thermal comfort benefit standpoint. And, and what you find is that the path of least resistance is often up above the ceiling and especially above T-grid ceiling. And so that gives you a, a couple of benefits uh, with respect to you know, ease of installation uh, but also it gets the material close to closer to the occupants, gives the material the ability to to be affected by either passive or active uh, HVAC, uh, such that it can it can have heat transfer with with the product and and the and the environment around it. Is that ever installed on the interior walls? Absolutely. Yep. So, you know, phase change material comes in different temperature ratings and BTU uh, capacities. And, and so depending upon what you're trying to accomplish, whether it be primarily energy savings or thermal comfort, you, you can apply it in, in different locations. And, and often it's a, a real estate availability issue, uh, whether it's new construction or retrofit. Um, and, and so you know, getting the material into the space and where where you're able to do it in an economical way kind of really drives the the application. And so for new construction, the sky is the limit, right? You can be creative about how to integrate it into the building. Um, but what we found is that it's still a bit of a niche product and not being specified on new construction. And so therefore, you know, most of the applications are retrofit. And and so by default, you'll find that it's easier to put it above a drop lid uh, T-grid ceiling 
as opposed to ripping off drywall, putting it in the walls, and then repairing that drywall. Fair enough. Okay, so uh, talking about the material, is it is it is it more useful? I mean, obviously the case study is in Phoenix, and that's got to be you know cooling dominant. Nobody's nobody's going to argue that. But it, does yeah. it does it do well in heating modes? I mean, wh- is there a sweet spot for this type of material? You know, that's a great question. You know, we think that actually for colder climates, it has a greater benefit simply because the Delta T's are, are more significant in, in harsher winter conditions. You know, for the most part, you know, trying to keep a space at, in and around 72 degrees uh, when it's below zero, there's a high Delta T, a high potential uh, there. And, and so, you know, we see that, you know, trying to keep a, uh, an environment, inside environment comfortable, uh, closer to set point, it has a greater uh, bang for your, for your buck um, energy-wise uh, in, in a heating-dominated uh, climate, ironically. Now, the, the economic value proposition is uh, opposite because uh, heat is cheap, right? Using natural gas is, is much cheaper than using electricity unless you're using electric heat. Uh, so you'll find that the proliferation of the technology has been limited to places where energy costs is high naturally. And, um, and that is in areas that use are, are pretty much, uh, cooling dominated. So, uh, California, Southern California, um, and Texas, uh, and, and then it's, it's heating dominated, obviously in the North, Northeastern part of the United States. Uh, but we're saving, uh, BTUs there, uh, as opposed to, to, to dollars, except for those who are using, uh, electric electricity for heating. So now getting this into your project, how do you, I mean, how do you explain that to engineers? Is there a lot of, uh, you know, engineering calculations that have to go in to the, uh, the application here? Or is it something that is just, you know, you're going to get a certain benefit and you can just specify it? Yeah, it, it's tricky because it's it's a material that goes in the envelope yet affects HVAC energy, and, and so you're you're having to convince an architect that you want to put this product in uh, as a sustainable means of saving HVAC energy, and and so you know it's it's a bit of a technical it, it's a technical sale, and it's an applied engineered product, and so the mechanical engineer needs to get involved to understand what the impact of the phase change materials will be on the HVAC systems. And they are very closely uh, linked and and integrated. If if not done so, you miss out on the ability to to save HVAC energy and make the space um, much more comfortable. So you you have to have a willing participant with the architect uh, just as much as the client and a mechanical engineer that is willing to to try and um, quantify the the energy savings and the commensurate value proposition, which, which is not easy. So I guess how did the uh, you know getting this actually installed you now after the fact? How did the contractors uh, you know how they perceive this material? You know, for the most part, contractors are are pretty cool with it. Uh, you know, they think it's pretty neat, and, and you know, many times they they ask if they can get it installed in their houses. Uh, I was involved in a large retrofit project of over a thousand uh, retail financial buildings all over the United States in uh, 17 and 18 and did a lot of contractor training 
And, and those were retrofits and, and the primary mode of integrating the material was to install it above uh, the T-grid ceilings, the T-grid tiles. And, and so what we found was, you know, it was very low tech to get installed in, in that application. Uh, you literally popped a ceiling tile, laid the blanket out and on top of the, um, the vacant tiles. And it worked out to about a 60 or 70% uh, floor area coverage ratio. Uh, which worked out to to save on the order of 25 to 35 percent of HVAC energy. Uh, so from an install, you know, contractor's perception of it, uh, you know, we got them to uh, a crew of four people to install about a 3,000 square foot uh, uh, building in about uh, three hours, uh, from setup to install to cleanup. Uh, and so it it, it went in uh, very quickly. Uh, and very easily. So we, we found that to be, um, you know, positive experience. So what were the lessons learned that you had from, from this project um, beyond the, the energy side, I guess, for the, the Canyon View project? You know, uh, Canyon View, the jury is, is still out. You know, we're collecting data uh, and, and it hasn't been fully processed yet. And, and so we're hoping to see, you know, significant energy savings on, on, on the test building compared to the control building. And we'll know a heck of a lot more uh, come August of, of 19, and we'll have a year's worth of data there. Um, but but so far, so good. You know, we, we haven't seen, um, we're, we're seeing what we want to see. We're seeing uh, lower temperatures, uh, more consistent temperatures in, in the PCM spaces uh, compared to the other spaces. And, and that project is unique, uh, you know, the, the two-story, thirty-thousand-square-foot buildings um, have different HVAC systems in them. Uh, ironically, the first floor has a two-pipe fan coil, uh, you know, constant volume fan coil unit per uh, classroom uh, with electric uh, heat and uh, chill water cooling. And then upstairs is kind of a wide-open floor plan, uh, big vaulted ceiling with open steel structure, so no ceilings. Uh, so the material had to be installed predominantly in the walls. And, and so that is served by a VAV air handler with electric reheat. Um, and, and so, you know, each classroom has a VAV box with all exposed ductwork. So the two different types of systems in, in kind of two different types of uh, construction modes in, in two different uh, primary locations of the material make it a really nice um, a test bed for for um, demonstrating the efficacy okay so but there weren't any sort of issues with you know installing it with you know any sort of details getting you know need to be adjusted um from from normal no i mean the architect would typically provide uh, a wall section detail you know showing the sandwich uh you know the metal studs drywall insulation uh you know stucco vapor vapor barrier and, and so we showed and worked with them that to, to integrate the uh, phase change material uh, just inboard of the drywall, uh, literally stapled to the, the face of the studs. Okay, so there, there wasn't any sort of conflict between the, um, what you would say, the, the insulation within the stud cavity and the actual uh, um, phase change material? No, the, the thickness of the blanket is only... Yeah, for the for the lowest BTU content material, about three eighths of an inch thick. Uh, you know, at most it'll get to about a half an inch thick. Uh, too much material packed into too much of an air uh, a thickness 
you know, it inhibits the heat transfer and the ability for the material to do work for us. So uh, it's not it's not of a high profile. It's a very low profile. Um, you know, the only hazard uh, really is is when the guys are putting the drywall on, on and they're throwing screws in the studs. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that they're not hitting uh, the material and the material is leaking out of the packets. And so, uh, you know, therein lies probably our biggest risk. Um with respect to uh, material leaking out of the out of the packets, and so what happens when that happens is, you know, it's basically like a little oil spill. It um, you know may drain the contents of the packet, uh, but at least the bio-based material, when it goes to a full liquid, when it's fully melted, it, it really only goes to a gel phase. It doesn't get to the consistency of like water, so it's not running out or pouring out. It it, it may just kind of ooze out or stay put. And, and so, you know, there is risk to having it leach and stain uh, through the drywall in those, in those instances, but it would only be uh, to, the, to the extent of the material leaking out of the particular packet that was punctured. Okay. And at least it's, you know, from the outside, you're not, you're not necessarily concerned about fasteners coming in through the outside because um, you, you, you should have enough space there. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, those are those are inadvertent punctures, and and like you said, yeah, if it's installed in a location, you know, and not behind a drywall wall, then uh, you know that risk is further mitigated. Okay. Um, now, is there is there, I mean, obviously, you know, what what pops into my mind is is okay. What if somebody has to in the future retrofit something in that wall? Um, is there a certain special procedure that they have to follow to you know make sure that they're not you know, puncturing the, the, ther- the you know, the thermal, uh, phase change material? Uh, sure. But inevitably somebody's going to nick it and it's going to get punctured. And, and when that happens, you just drain the packet and, and put some tape on it. Um, you know, the material is non-toxic, uh, for at least the bio-based materials are, are non-toxic and, um, uh, you know, are, are not, not harmful, um, uh, and so we haven't had any issues with that per se. It just creates a bit of a mess. Um, so can it be reused if you nick a, nick a packet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, would we recommend, you know, replacing it with another one? Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's uh, quite inert. There are other phase change materials that are made from salt hydrates that are uh, pretty caustic. Uh, and, and corrosive, and it, it, you probably don't want to put in walls at all. Um, uh, so, depending upon the type of material you're using, uh, will dictate where where it's located. Okay. So now um, you said obviously uh, August you had the uh, uh, you know the building up and running, commissioned. Um, any any early data? I know you don't have a full year's worth of data, and you want to wait till August to to, to figure out. But um, anything that you can tell us right now, or, or what you expect to happen? Well, we expect to you know see between twenty five and thirty five percent HVAC energy savings. Uh, we have, the data has not been fully processed. We we have an issue with a flow meter actually in uh, Building B, uh, not reporting its data, uh, so it's not fully reporting everything. Um, unfortunately, so the jury is still out on what the actual data says. So, um, how, I guess, uh, how does this, uh, how do these materials work? I mean, take me through a day in the life of a phase change material. 
Sure. Yeah. So PCM can be engineered to operate for a large range of applications in general. I mean, ranging from minus 50 C all the way up to 175 C for the built environment. uh, Material is made in in stock uh, temperatures and and their product um, that phase change energy solutions makes uh, is called energy blanket. And, And they specify or manufacture a product based on the Q value, which is its nominal um, operating temperature at, at 20 degrees C, 23, 25, 28, and 30. Uh, and so these are the, the standard application uh, temperatures that they offer. Um, and they have three different uh, energy capacities, uh, which they call the M value, uh, which is a BTUs per square foot. And, and so that's kind of like a low, medium, and high um, amount of material that's cast into the packets on the blanket uh, for, for different applications. Um, so, you know, in some cases we can apply a different temperature material uh, into the same blanket, uh, basically make it a hybrid uh, blanket to operate, you know, for a summer and winter uh, application uh, that has two different melt temperatures uh, to, to deal with those, um, instances, especially for government jobs that have, you know, significantly different, uh, summer and winter set point. I think it's like, uh, 65 and 78, uh, is pretty, pretty big swing. The, the window in which the, uh, phase change material, the bio-based phase change material works is a pretty narrow window. Uh, it's, it's nominal temperature is, um, is, is kind of the midpoint of the curve uh, where the material is is a mixture of of solid and liquid in, in its latent range, and so you know either side of its nominal temperature, it's got about two to three C uh, degrees C, where the material is latent. And when the material is latent, it, it's doing work for the building. It's either has the capacity to absorb heat uh, or or reject heat. So. Uh, you know, that latent range of the material is, is, is very critical. And, and so, um, you know, if the PCM is completely frozen, it, it only has the ability to absorb heat uh, or, or melt. And, and if it's completely melted, uh, it only has the ability to reject heat or, or freeze. And so this process of melting and freezing uh, of the PCM is the storing and releasing of, of heat energy. And so the PCM seeks to be at its nominal temperature. So if it's frozen, uh, like in like in the early morning in the summertime, uh, and is exposed to you know two to three to C degrees above its nominal temperature, uh, it will begin to melt and and absorbing heat. Um, but while it's doing this, while while it's in its latent phase, it's still at its nominal temperature. Uh, you know that that's a, a straight line on its curve. Uh, until which it's fully melted, at, at which point uh, it'll be unable to absorb any more heat and and then uh, start eking up in, in, in temperature. And so the converse is true for a wintertime scenario. And so, uh, you know, in general, the, the material works as, as a thermal battery, uh, absorbing and, and releasing heat uh, until it's either, you know, fully frozen or fully melted, at which point we'll want to either discharge or recharge that, that thermal battery battery to to work for us again uh, the following day. All right. So what what should engineers know? You know who want to apply this uh, um, material? What should they, what should they know going into it? 
Well, first, they, they need to work with a manufacturer that can provide uh, specific uh, temperature and enthalpy diagrams for their products uh, done with a calibrated uh, DSC, which, which stands for a differential scanning calorimeter uh, machine. Uh, and, and what that does is it generates the curve that, that I just referenced and, and shows the engineer uh, at what temperatures it melts and at what temperature it freezes and defines the amount of energy capacity that it will have. And, and so that's, that's you know, extremely important, uh, being able to get this, this specific um, uh, information. Uh, you know, work with a manufacturer that has an applications engineering uh, support capacity. Uh, you know, the experience that, you know, the engineers at Phase Change Energy Solutions has is uh, extremely valuable and, and, and they exist to support, you know, the a &E community with, with um, you know, actual field applied lessons learned. Uh, very important. Uh, ask the manufacturer to provide uh, the basics, you know, safety data sheet, technical data sheet, uh, warranty information, installation instructions and documentation, and case studies, you know, specifically associated with your intended application. Uh, solicit references from owners, operators, uh, contractors that have had experience installing the material. Uh, be wary of salt hydrate uh, based materials um, that are inherently corrosive if punctured. Uh, they're also very inexpensive, and, and the real challenge with salt hydrates is that, um, you know, after, you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand cycles, uh, that that crystalline structure uh, degrades and doesn't always melt and freeze at the same temperature anymore. It kind of shifts; that curve shifts over time, and so you know, really, the cycle, um, the life cycle of the material and its ability to melt and freeze at a consistent temperature over tens of thousands of cycles uh, is critical to the, the life of, of the material. So if you can imagine buying a, a material that's half the price and works good for two or three years, um, nobody really has a vehicle or method for determining if the material is actually working. It's very difficult to uh, as a user, other than a, a user, a sophisticated user that's measuring HVAC energy, would know if the material is not melting or freezing at the right temperature anymore. So it's it's difficult to to go back and, and uh, recommission, uh, you know, because the material is catalyzed from the factory. It's set and it's done. You install it, you forget about it, and and unless you get a, a high quality material out of the gate, it's very difficult to validate if you've got yourself a low quality material that's, that's not working as it should. Um, consider the physical weight of the material if, in, if installing above T-grid ceilings. Um, you know, the energy blanket product weighs in at about a half a pound a square foot, which is within the, the weight tolerance limit of most T-grid ceilings. Um, I think out of the millions of square feet that have been retrofitted above T-grid, there's yet to be uh, a ceiling tile or a grid failure or issue of sagging. Um, the, the material is not a boutique product. It, it must be engineered and, and in thermal alignment with the intended building operation. Uh, very critical to make sure that the set points of the HVAC systems are in alignment with the, with the uh, nameplate rating of, of the phase change material. Uh, understand the HVAC energy consumption uh, if HVAC systems are manually overridden, 
and operated after um, occupied hours frequently so the savings goals can be adjusted so you know like every project you know once it's dialed into commission it's very difficult to police uh, rogue activity um, if there are energy savings goals uh, you know all it takes is a rogue zone a rogue thermostat or a manual override to cause the material to stay stuck uh, frozen or melted and and not do the work that it was uh, designed to do um, so recommissioning is is um, important and and by default when you recommission the HVAC systems to operate according to the sequence, uh, you know, then you'll ensure that the phase change material has a fighting chance to help uh, keep that building comfortable and save save energy. Um, coordinate with the architect the exact locations and quantities for the phase change material, whether uh, the blanket is installed within walls or in the roof assembly or uh, above ceilings. Uh, it's critical that the architect shows on his plans uh, perhaps on the reflected ceiling plan uh, in many cases or in details uh, where the where the material goes um, how much and of what type uh, material uh, is installed where uh, very 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 critical um, and so pcm uh, we want to get it installed close to the occupants to better achieve uh, high comfort levels um, we we could even go so far as to integrate it within uh, furniture uh, or expose it in cloud type forms uh, directly into the space. Um, you know, recharging and charging of the material works on basic principles of, of heat transfer. So, um, you know, if it's exposed to convective and conductive uh, uh, heat transfer modes, uh, that's better than just conductive. So, you know, if you're burying PCM in a wall cavity with no convection, uh, you're limited to just the conduction path which may take more time to, to recharge uh, the material. So, so those are all really good um, things. A lot of, a lot of things that, um, that should be uh, considered by, by the consulting engineer. So now I got to ask you a couple of follow-up questions to that. Um, sure. Because <laughs> I guess you, you bring up good questions as far as what is, what is, was the warranty? What, what's the, the length of life of that can be expected from this phase change material? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I know phase change energy solutions warrants their products out to 10 years, uh, you know, with respect to doing what they, in, in achieving the, the, the thermal performance that they, that they publish. Um, and and then that's very important. When, you, when you're integrating a product into a building uh, you want it to last the life of the building. And, and so I know the phase change material uh, or energy solutions has done material testing to, to show under uh, multiple thousands, I, I think on the order of, of 70 to 80,000 cycles uh, that the degradation of the melt and freeze curves is, is less than 5%. So, you know, those kind of, analyses are very important. There's a, a third party study done by the Army Corps of Engineers um, that's published and, and available for public domain that shows uh, life cycle testing, I think only to about 40,000 hours um, for different types, uh, salt hydrates, bio-based and paraffin wax with, with um, interesting results that, that show, you know, in some cases skewing of some products uh, over time, uh, like I, I mentioned before, on the salt hydrate, so um, you know, all very important 
uh, things to consider when you're integrating this into your building. So now, if you, I guess, how do you know that it's still, you know, right, you know, right in a sweet spot? It's still operating how it should. I mean, obviously, it's material that's behind a wall or it's above the ceiling, so you're not necessarily going to know whether it freezes or it's thawed or it's in its gel um, or frozen state. Is there any way to kind of tell uh, that it's actually yeah. performing how it should? Yeah, you, you have to take its temperature. So, you know, just like a battery, uh, you know, where they have a percent charge, you know, we can come up with something very analogous analogous by just uh, taking its temperature. And so when you do that, and then you, you plot that on the manufacturer's curve, a temperature enthalpy curve, you can see where it is, uh, whether it be frozen or melted or somewhere in between. If the material is at its uh, nominal temperature, uh, if it's a Q23 material and you're measuring, you know, 73.4 degrees, you know that that material is in its latent state. It's it's somewhere between um, frozen and melted, which is a good thing. We, we want our material to be, you know, at its nameplate temperature uh, most of the time. Uh, in the mornings, we want it fully frozen. So if it's subcooled and, and, and below its nameplate temperature, then we know it's fully frozen. If we know it's um, you know, three or four degrees C above its nominal temperature, then we know it's fully melted. So is that something you could do through the, the drywall? If you had like a thermographic camera um, or an infrared camera, you could be able to tell that? Or do you need, the, do you need to actually measure the uh, material itself? Yeah, you would, you would have to actually measure the material itself. Uh, by default, you, I mean, you could at, at a high level, uh, you know, look at surface temperatures of a wall if, if the material is, uh, you know, in direct co- contact with that. Uh, it, there's just a lag, right? There, there's, you know, a bit of an R value associated with a ceiling tile or a piece of jib board. Uh, not much. I mean, less than one. And, and, but nevertheless, the most accurate way would be to, uh, you know, stick a, a thermocouple or a temperature bulb you know, inside of one of the packets in various locations and, and report that to a building management system to to give an indication of, you know, in different areas of the building, you know, what, what is the status of, of the material. And, and that's kind of an information only thing. You could use it as a control point to trigger a, uh, a purge or an active uh, cooling or heating uh, recharge charge um, uh, mode. So, you know, there's, it's, it would be pretty simple to do. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk with us, Mark. And uh, is is there anything anything that you want to leave the uh, our listeners with? Any last comments? Yeah, absolutely. There there are a, a lot of lessons learned uh, that that I think uh, we should be aware of. And and uh, you know, to those listening, I I, I welcome them to to dig into to the resources uh, available on uh, um, uh, what is it? It's um, uh, phasechange.com. Uh, there's a lot of great information at um, uh, uh, various locations like um, uh, at, at NREL, the Department of Energy uh, has some uh, good information on, on phase change materials. Uh, ben Welter publishes um, 
a, a weekly blast uh, via LinkedIn. There's a LinkedIn user group uh, for Phase Change Energy. Uh, Ben's uh, publication, Phase Change Matters, is a is a great publication on the, all the developments in the PCM world. Uh, but some of the lessons learned I've, I've found is is that um, you know we want to get phase change material integrated into buildings where we have the ability um, recharge the material and get it ready for the next day. So you know we're we're cooling dominated out here in the southwest part of the world, and we want our material to be frozen. And so a really good way to do that is to you know use a purge, uh, a natural ventilation purge, uh, off peak to uh, use cool ambient air uh, to flush the building and recharge our material. For the most part, we need a five to 10 degree Delta T to get the material to release its heat and, and uh, get frozen for the morning such that it's ready to absorb uh, heat and melt during the course of the day. And last for, uh, you know, hopefully the, the complete occupied period. Once occupied period is over, the material uh, theoretically is fully melted, and and then we have we have to have a means for rejecting that heat. And so, if you can do it passively via natural ventilation, that's great. Uh, but in many times, especially in Arizona, you've got to use um, active mechanical systems because it just doesn't get cool enough outside uh, to do a flush. And so, you've got to use traditional HVAC, um, whether it be uh, you know blowing cold air. Uh, into the areas or, or overcooling the spaces, doing a pre-occupancy cool down to get the material to freeze. Or uh, there's much more innovative solutions like uh, using radiant uh, tubing or a, uh, a flat uh, aluminum heat exchanger in direct contact with the energy blanket uh, such that we can directly affect a charge or discharge using medium temperature waters. So I can, I can charge and discharge with as little as uh, say 60 degree water, certainly higher uh, temperature above uh, dew point to prevent condensation and, and get my material frozen using cool condenser water and not even chill water. And then, uh, you know, let my, let my material absorb the heat from the space and the envelope and, and basically render active HVA, H, HVAC uh, moot uh, during much of the day. Uh, so there are really some cool uh, active strategies using, um, you know, moderately temperature tempered water and uh, to to uh, charge and discharge uh, and get our buildings running passively and, and use this material to provide uh, be the provider primary provider for HVAC except of course for ventilation. Uh, phase change material only works sensibly. It doesn't do anything obviously for moisture. And latent, you, you still and you still have to provide ventilation per code, but um, you know for, for spaces with high sensibles, uh, a lot of great benefits by integrating uh, uh, phase change materials. Excellent. Well, I appreciate all the information. It's a lot to digest, and if uh, people want to hear uh, learn more about it, obviously they can uh, they can reach out to you on LinkedIn or uh, uh, talk to uh, uh, Ben Welter. Um, on LinkedIn with Fane's Change Matters. So thanks, Mark. Thanks for so much for uh, stopping by and giving a chance to uh, talk with us. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, Matt, and, and hope this uh, is of value to your listeners. All right. Thanks again to Mark Richards for taking the time to chat with us. Check out the show notes 
For links to things mentioned in their interview, you can find those show notes over at hvac360.com slash 115. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this is helpful. If you know somebody who's looking for more information on this topic, consider passing this episode along. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, consider joining the uh, growing community of people like you over at HVAC360.com for some more weekly goodness. And lastly, I would be greatly honored if you consider me leaving me a rating in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And as always, as a standing offer, I'll give you a shout out the following week as soon as I know. So that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.